This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Future CEOs. My name is Gareth Armstrong. It's good to be with you today. What do we do here on Future CEOs? Well, what we do is we bring entrepreneurs like we have here in studio today into studio to talk to you and to really tell their stories so that we can hear their stories and expedite our own growth of our own businesses through the understanding of some of the pitfalls that they've had to overcome, some of the challenges that they've had, but then also some of the successes that we can learn from. No pressure, ladies. Uh, how are you <laughs> feeling about this this conversation today? Well, a little bit pressurized after that um, awesome introduction. Um, and thank you very much, Gareth. You've been at this business for about six years. You've been doing quite well, as, as I understand it. There's a combined experience here in the room of 16 years in in the can I diminish it by saying catering? Because it's not catering. It's so much it's more. It's events management with different um, facets to it. Okay. Yes. Okay. So events events management with different facets to it. As then entrepreneurs in that space, when you look out into the world of entrepreneurship now, what are you frustrated by when you, with what you're seeing? A big concern. Um, I, w- uh, I might not call it a frustration, um, but a big concern is how – Entrepreneurship is being told as an easy road and that everyone should do it. Of course, Mm. everyone should have um, and want to own their own businesses, to leave their own legacies, etc. But it's far from easy. Um, It's a very lonely road and um, it's far from flashy. Mm. Yes, um, we do need the flashy because we we need to tell our stories. And social media, unfortunately, is... Flashy. Yeah, in, it's, in, it's, in so full, it's full of the flesh, the pizzazz, yes. but none of the, the reality. None of the gritty. Yeah, really. yeah, sadly, sadly. So, Mandlakazi, you, you're nodding and saying yes. That, is this something you agree with? Do you see something a little bit different? Yes. Uh, in terms of the hours that you have to put in are not your usual five to, I mean, nine to five uh, exercise that mm. you, you do in a corporate, uh, uh, coming from a corporate background, I did um, work for corporate for like 10 years mm. and stuff. And being an entrepreneur is every day of your life. It's not like I, I'll put it away and attend to it at some other time. Mm. Um, you have to put in that extra work, especially if you want to, if you know the kind of service or quality of service that you want to produce out there and put out there. So you have to put that effort because you are selling yourself mm. as the person and as the service that you are putting out there. It reflects back to you. We're listening to the voices of Absi and Manlakazi, the, the co-founders. Yes, co-founders of Fresh Yum. Quick, who, who's going to do the elevator pitch? What is Fresh Yum? Absi? Yes. Um, okay, so Fresh Yum um, is part of Fresh Corporation, of the Fresh Corporation Group. Um, Fresh Corporation, um, was, uh, it started in 2014, but I'd had, um, I'd started Fresh RSVP in 2002, mm. um, which is a guest logistics company. And I was working within another group of companies, but I've gone off onto my own and started Fresh Corporation in 2014. And Fresh Yum is, um, just under two years old, um, as we speak. And we started it, um, because we saw, um, a need. Um, in the catering space, um, corporate catering uh, more especially, for we, we, we saw a gap for what we offer because um, we offer authentically South African cuisine, mm. but obviously mixed with, I mean, everyone nowadays has got a global um, 
palate. Mm. Um, so it's mixed a lot with that. And so, and approaching corporates um, with that because in my experience in events management and also in guest logistics, I happened to, I had the, the opportunity to see the gap where we could come in. Mm. And mm. we did. And I mean, with fresh RSVP, I come in um, with a lot of logistical, with a logistical background. Um, which is then mixed with Mandlagazi's um, amazing culinary skills. Mm-hmm. So it works together operationally. So you come in with two sides to this, which is a, both a logistical element, plus then also fantastic catering. Tell me more. Uh, firstly, uh, let me just give you a bit of my background. Mm. Well, it started way when I was in primary school. I used to be like the sh- the sh- chef, I think in standard four. We used to collect like... One rands from each class member, okay. and I used to buy the food, and then we cook every Fridays. And then um, I went off to high school in Queenstown. Yes. So in my um, home economics class, um, I used to challenge my teacher a lot, and I was thrown out of the class and okay. made to study history, <laughs> which I aced because I thought it was just telling your stories. But after that, after high school, I no, but, went but, to but, vets. But Holden, you're brushing over all sorts of interesting uh, stuff here. Yes. You were thrown out of class. Uh, why? Just because you were a disruptive influence? Because you said challenge the teacher, but challenge the teacher in Ch- what way? Challenge the teacher in sort of like I would, um, I would, I, I would query about the methods that she is using to produce a certain dish mm. type of thing and drawing from my background that I have from home, which I learned from uh, my mom and our helper who used to work at, at hotels and stuff. So um she would go in another route. And if I challenge her that, no, this is how you do it. And my pro- whatever I produce, maybe would come out better and stuff. So she thought that I was being disruptive in mm. a way that, um, I'm not following the textbook, but I'm like, there's many ways to get a better result mm. of whatever that you're doing and being creative as well. That's the part that I think I used to bring out that this is not the only way. There are other ways. Well, I, I like the idea of disruption. There's <laughs> lots of really good entrepreneurs that are disruptors or potentially started out disrupting classrooms. Uh, and so it's, it, uh, now at least we know who in this team, <laughs> who, we're, we're it's slowly emerging who does what here. Uh, so, okay, then t- pull us forward into varsity because you were, you were going that direction. Then I went to varsity, um, it was Vert Vettersrand Technicon then, mm. UJ, mm. and in Bramfontein. I, I went to hotel school there. And I think in 1999, I got the award for the best student. Mm. And I was not even aware that I was being watched or there was this award um, in, 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 in the pipeline. So um, that too also gave me the, um, the confidence as well as um, I saw that, oh, maybe there is something really unique and special that I have to um, that I can give out to people there. Mm. And I have identified it as uh, creativity, quality, as well as the passion. Because I believe that whatever that a person has inside, you translate it in whatever that you do. Mm. It it shows. There's a nice quote which says, everything you do says something about you. Yes. And, and what I'm hearing is that everything you do 
is is there's there's a basis to it. So any anything that you make, anything that you make potentially together, mm. says something about both of you. Uh, I understand that there's a number of award ceremonies that, or a number of awards that you've received. There's also a number of summits and events that you've been able to, or been invited to across Africa. This says something about you. Mm. A, a couple of comments. To brag a little. We don't mind a little <laughs> bit of bragging here on future CEOs. Okay. Um, most especially with fresh RSVP, um, because I've been, um, I've been that that's the longest standing company. Um, so with fresh RSVP, um, we've done, we had a satellite office in Dubai, um, for about four years and our big clients there were Unilever. Um, so we launched, um, the now not so new Pons range, um, mm. back in the day where we did launches in Jakarta and in Indonesia. Wow. New York, um, a couple in Dubai, and um, we've done um, lot, a couple of events for Boeing at Ingelheim in Barcelona, Rome, um, and in Dubai again. When, when someone goes, mm, darn it, I can't remember how many of these we've done and I can't list them all, then you know. <laughs> it's a couple, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. So, so uh, you, you've got this African footprint, you, you've got... A, a desire to be more than just a catering company that serves clients in South Africa. Yes. Let's go to the beginning of that journey. Uh, how did that happen? Because that 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 often is is rare. People that have high ambitions that are able to execute on those ambitions. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the beginning. How did this come together? So you you you're here together. You uh, you were describing how um, there was a, an origin point, but then there was this coming together. Let's let's go there. How did that happen? Okay, well, um, firstly, regarding the footprint um, in the continent, um, because of my exposure within in Fresh Corporation, um, so most recently, um, the Grassa Michelle Trust, um, they've got a Women Advancing um, Africa, Africa yes, yes, Summit. Yes. Um, summit um, well, it's actually an ongoing program. Um, so I've been exposed to a lot of information and also meeting other women pioneers. And there's a shortage of women pioneers within the continent, mm. within the food industry. And I mean... That's interesting. African women are, they're all about food and nurturing and um, yeah, and yeah. all of that. So you'd think that it's co- the complete opposite. Um, but yes, recently in agriculture, there are, there's a lot more women in it, um, but that's just necessarily growing and um, taking care of the food, but not in catering culinary and hospitality. Mm. Um, so that is where we are looking to start conversations within the continent. And I mean, um, recently I've been traveling a lot to Rwanda, um, Nairobi, um, Lagos, and it's, it's those kind of conversations that I am having in women based forums, Mm -hmm. so to speak, um, to actually see why there is such a gap. I think it's because women just think that it's natural and it's normal. It's nothing to necessarily speak about mm. and um, that culinary is more celebrated outside of the continent, which um, I find, I find to be incorrect um, mm. because as Africa, we've got the most diverse and different kinds of tastes and we should be celebrating it more. You know, we should have our own Michelin star. Yeah, I agree. Ratings, uh, yeah. My, one of my experiences is sitting with the Nigerian family and what they brought out was a, these these small fish, fish yeah, catfish, um, yeah, yeah, and but lots of them they were raw, salted, and then I'm 
it was the strangest experience of my life to eat raw, small, raw, salted fish <laughs> with their heads and everything attached. But it was a great experience, and there was a and what happened around the table was a story, a, an, an exciting experience that we enjoyed together. Mandakazi, I want to know how you came together and formed this business. Firstly, uh, we sisters. So, and yeah, there we go. Yeah, great insight. <laughs> yes, we are sisters. So we come from an entrepreneurial background. Uh, our dad, uh, and mama and dad used to work together running a business and farms in the Eastern Cape. Mm-hmm. So, um, starting a business came as second nature to us. So yeah, it was like, it was a natural progression, a natural progression yeah. from, from, from where we come from. Cause even when we were still growing up, if you needed something, you were told, go to the mango tree, get the mangoes, go and sell them if mm. you want uh, a pair of shoes, pair of yeah. shoes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, nice. So being entrepreneurs together and understanding each other as sisters, uh, our personalities and our strengths as well and our weaknesses. So, we sort of like very much in sync in terms of um, bringing the best into the business, bringing the best of our skills into the business. But actually, did you fight when you were younger? Completely. Uh, you, you did. <laughs> we hated each other. <laughs> but but and do you fight now? No. That's we've interesting. Had, we've had all the fights that mm. you can think of. Sure. Like in high school, because we went to the same um, high school, but um, people actually did not even realize that we were sisters because I would not even look in her direction. Mm. It was She didn't yeah. like me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a twin sister and maybe some similar experiences there as well. Not, yes. not quite that but <laughs> But I mean I'm um, just going back as well, just adding on to how Fresh Yam actually started. Um, a friend of ours ha- had tasted Matagazi's food just over a casual lunch and she was having a fortieth birthday and she was gonna have a formal um Event, dinner party yeah. and also a more family orientated traditional meal kind of um, event um, the mm. following day. So she asked us to cater for it and it was our very first one. We literally went out to go buy dishes and I was like, oh well, here we are. Yeah, <laughs> she so wouldn't take no for an answer as well. <laughs> I, I know, but what I love about that is that it wasn't this big prepared plan no, thing. Not at it all. was actually just you getting in, you've got. I mean, and going back to the language that entrepreneurs use, you've got a minimal viable, minimum viable product. Yes. And, and people have vetted it. They said they really like it. They're willing to, to spend Pay some money it. on it. Um, and so you, you did it. It was a successful event. And then you looked at each other and said, Hey, we can do this. Yes. And the following weekend, we got another request. Um, and yes, there were smaller events. Um, 20 to 40 to 50 people. Well, that doesn't sound like a, that, that sounds like one heck of an event to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how you, I don't know how you cater for that, but okay. So there were these smaller events. Yes. Yeah. So literally from the very next weekend, from the guests that actually attended the party. But now, but now there's thousands of people that you cater for yes. often. Yes. Thousands. Our biggest event has been 3,000 people so far. But yeah, we can go higher. <laughs> Notes, noted. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but let me ask a question. How do you go from, I, mean, I can understand catering for 20 people and you know, you can really put your heart and soul into something there. But how do you go from 20, 30, 50, where you can put a little bit of love into the food perhaps, but then to go to 3000 and still keep your, the, the quality consistent? How do you do that? So how she actually, um, I'll speak on her because I, I watch her work and because I'm not the cook myself. So I actually, but you're the MD. Yes. You're the managing director, right? <laughs> so seeing her work, um, so how, cause she brings her passion into every single bite of food mm. and the chefs that we've hired, 
she's trained them from the ground up. Um, Hold on. Are you a Gordon Ramsay? Not really. Okay, so there's, there's, not a, there's not a Hell's Kitchen situation, right? <laughs> No. She's the nicest chef I know. <laughs> okay, lo- lovely. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> not a problem. Um, so actually, like, watching her work and how she does her trainings, because we also train um, junior cooks um, to actually – there's a, we've got a massive database right now of people that we work with on a, uh, on a daily basis so that it's creating jobs. It's also giving um, someone who did not have the exposure. It's, it's giving them. So our biggest passion is service and then also passing on knowledge mm. because, um, I mean, we live in such an abundant um, continent. I don't believe anyone should go hungry in Africa. Mm. Um, so it's with it's. Really with that, uh, with that in mind, where we train a whole lot of people, but like our main, um, head chefs, that she's trained every single thing that they prepare from the kitchen, she's actually shown them how to make from scratch. And so if she's not in the kitchen, which is rare, then they definitely, I'm assured that they're producing exactly mm. what she would if she were in the kitchen. Now there's this thing about trust. The ability to trust someone mm. and, and, and often what that requires is a lot of work on your part mm. to be able to instill knowledge, to, to offer, to give people safe environments, to be able to make some mistakes, mm-hmm. but then really hone their craft. And I think it sounds like that's what you've been doing, Mandakazi. It was quite a challenge for me to trust other people mm. with what I want to produce. So I was constantly in the kitchen, constantly wanting to buy stuff myself because I wanted to see if it's the right product and stuff. But then um, by choosing the right stuff with the similar attitude than you mm. and also the they want they also believe in, in, in being part of the of the company and wanting to contribute their best as well. So I think that's one of the winning formulas, the attitude, because you can get a the best uh, chef ever, but then if the attitude or the values do not um, mm. do not li- align with what you want to achieve, then it can go pear shaped very quickly. We we had the former COO of Accenture here, COO turned venture capitalist, and he, he says when he looks at teams and and just views businesses from a distance, and even looks at his own team, what he he prescribes to the the organisations that he's working with is hire for attitude, train for skill. Yes. So rather just get the That's right people true. in. Right. The, yeah. But here's another question, and because I, I know I can hear our future CEOs community asking this question. So I must ask for them to you, how do you hire someone and then trust that they're not going to steal your knowledge, steal your idea? How did you get over that hurdle? Everyone steals uh, ideas all the time. Okay. Everyone steals ideas all the time. All the time. But it's how they they, Mm. they, um, translate. How they translate it, that will be different Mm. because they don't have what they don't have the birth of the idea in them. Mm. Ideas, uh, there's so many in the past, literally in the past 12 years, I can't even tell you how many times I've sat around a table, come up with ideas with people that I trust, and then next thing it's being produced by somebody else, etc. Or forgotten, actually, Uh, because sometimes we have these, what we feel is the heavens parting and knowledge (laughs) coming straight into (laughs) our brains, and then we're saying, I've got this idea, but then actually... There's an origin point, and I yes, like, I I, I like that, that, mm. that point, that the origin point mm. of something mm. then births the rest. Mm. Mm. Uh, and so if you don't have the right origin point, you're not going to get to where you need to you go. You need with to it. go, like yeah. That. 
And um, I mean, everyone can, everyone can, I'm not going to say everyone can do what we do, but yeah, so. Technically, perhaps. Technically, technically they can, yes. but it's how you execute it mm. and with what love and passion and it's the heart that you put into it that I find different. And I mean, I go to a lot of different events, um, not to check out the competition, but to actually see what other people are doing in the industry to learn and, and, grow. How, yes. and how we can better ourselves. And I definitely, I always introduce myself to the caterer. So what we'll do is we, we won't include your photo on any of what we distribute <laughs> here. So people know, okay, here she comes. Yes, <laughs> yes the food spy. <laughs> yeah. What we have done together is we've painted a, a fairly rosy picture. What I'd like us to do now is to, to shift a little bit and talk a, about some of the lows that you've had, some of the struggles that have happened. So if you together reflect back and you think about the, uh, as you were moving forward, that first big mistake, how did you deal with it? What was it? How did you deal with it? And what did you take from it? But, but let, let's separate that out. What was the mistake first? Okay, without mentioning <laughs> <laughs> client names. Um, so let's say on the, on the RSVP side, but this is now from, this was literally my very first event. Um, okay, very first. Very first event doing RSVP management. Um, we were doing, the company was doing the event production of the event. And um, we realized that there's a gap in how do we actually know that the guests are actually coming. Mm. Yes, we're sending them the printed invitations. And yes, then they were delivered invitations. And there was a phone number to call. Um, but nobody actually ever did. Mm. You know, people then, this was in 2002. Assume that if they got the invitation, they were expected at the event, but obviously that's not the case. So you were telling your client, wow, we've got 100, 200, 300 people, but actually… You don't know. Mm. You sent out 300 invitations, but chances are you're not going to get the 300 guests. And um, for catering um, then, um, you need to find out the dietary requirements, and it was quite a high-profile event. And so I had direct um, phone numbers. So I was a production assistant, and I was like, okay, I'll actually take this on. I'll phone everyone that we've sent invitations to and find out if they're coming, their partner's details, and get their dietary requirements. Mm. And without thinking, like, I'll just, like, pick up the phone. Hi, can I speak to Bruce, um, et cetera. So, because they didn't give us the designations of the guests. So, and halfway through, I realized... It was the Honorable Bruce. It was actually... <laughs> um, the fourth, twice yes. from, from the royal family. And yeah, mm. I'm saying, hi, how's your day? It's, it was super, super casual. Yeah. And okay, great. Bye. <laughs> like I'm talking to a mate of mine. Sure. Until one of the phone calls was to the actual chairman of the whole group. Okay. And, um, he appreciated the fact that I was actually casual, but not to his guests mm. because of the high profile, um, caliber of the guests. So that was, and, but, but, but by that time, I was already like, <laughs> 80% down the list. <laughs> well, there was nothing more I could do, but they did have the information, which was good. But the, the big mistake there was not finding out more what the client wants to communicate to their guests, because as guest logistics, we're the first point of call. Mm. Um, so if by the time you get to the event, you're already not impressed by how you were handled. 
it's very hard for the event to actually impress the guests, mm. whether it's through the entertainment, the amazing yeah, you've catering. Got, you're, you're 10 steps back and you need to get them all the way back to a neutral standpoint before yes. you can impress them. Mm. Yes. And this was even, this was not even a company. This was just me being a production assistant and calling. Mm. So, and two events after that, that's when I decided actually this is, and there's there's a need, you know, within events companies to have such a service. Yeah, a, a really high touch. Uh, it's personal touch, yeah. 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 I love and then, so that mistake taught me. Okay, great. I need to first have the experience with the client. What are they trying to communicate with the guests? Like, what are they actually going to be talking about at the event, so mm. that I and my team get the idea of this is the level that it is, and this is how we need to represent the client. Even when it comes to delivering the printed invitations, you know, having the students or the guys that are delivering them dressed a specific way, addressing the guests a specific way. And yes, yes, most of the time you speak to the PA, but the PA relates the message. And mm. The PA is the gatekeeper. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so there's something special about a, a really high-touch, high-experience. Uh, yes. and, and it's important for all of our listeners to hear this because often we, we send an email and we think our job is done. Mm-mm. But it's, it's really not that, and that was your experience. Um, just another thing. Um, so now when – Getting busier within the, like in the uh, most recent years. So you'll take on, because you're a small business, you'll take on every job and any job. Mm. And then, because for me, a 20 people job is as important as a 2000 people five day conference. So, but you get to, when you get to a point where you've taken on, taken on more than you can chew and you see it, but you don't, Tell the client or you can't because mm. you've already taken the job and you're also seeing that you need the money. It's, it's a very dangerous place to be because you're not going to deliver the same service that they used to for all these years. Okay, and so, you can lose a client in a second. So, you, so you, reputation uh, is very important. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and so let's talk about that for a moment. Um, Mandlakazi, you, of course, have been on the, the, the delivery end, the operations mm. end yes. of probably what some of your MD, you know, a lot of promises your MD has made <laughs> yes. to potential clients. <laughs> yeah. How have you dealt with one of those moments, those, wow, this is a little bit bigger than what we, we thought? How did you deal with that? Oh, I always take the bull by its horns. Okay. And planning, planning, and having a very uh, great relationship with my suppliers, it really helps because they always there for me whenever I, I call. Even if I could get a call right now to say I need to deliver at five, I know I'd be sitting right here and production would be going on in the kitchen mm. without me because my staff uh, knows who our suppliers are and they get the the right product. How do you do that? How do you develop a really good relationship with the supplier? Because I can imagine that um, when you're under pressure, that you can probably lose your cool. You could start screaming and shouting potentially. Not you specifically, <laughs> just someone in general. I see your smile, the smile on your face. Uh, but but uh, how do you then? How do you actually get this relationship going with a supplier? Because often they're not treated very well. I, I can imagine. Yeah, you you just um, let them know how valuable they are into the whole value chain of your business and what they contribute and um, always just uh, affirming them and always um, communicating what kind of quality products that you need and on time and mm. that and Make it personal. paying, yeah, get personal with them, paying on time, 
um, yeah, appreciating them for the efforts that they put in in order for your business to be a success. So I introduced this part of the conversation as let's let's get real with each other a little. Let's talk about some low moments. Thank you for sharing. The I do want to to put press for one more low moment together. What is your lowest moment being together? Um. Okay. There's a couple. <laughs> so there's a couple of them, but um, one that stands out. Um, there was like. There was some big accident on the freeway mm. and we needed to get, um, we had two events. So we needed to get food across town mm. and both. So the freeway was blocked on both ways. Mm. So, um, and she phones me, um, and I'm at another event and she's like, okay, the cars are both stuck. They can't get there on time. What do we do? And I was just like, okay, um, I don't know anyone at Mr. Delivery, but they, they my best bet. So I phoned them and I was like, uh, how many motorbikes can you get <laughs> at this point? I'll send you the GPS so, mm-hmm. and on this side of the freeway as well, because they need to load this much stuff um, into those motorbikes and get to those destinations. And then I had to disappear for an hour because of the event that I was doing. But with that coordination, but she could pick up on it, but it was very, it was highly stressful for her. And there was an absolutely... Nothing I could do. And all I could say, I mean, even with the client I was with, I was like, okay, I just need to take a quick five-minute break mm. to make sure everything was fine. But because she's we, – we're both operational, um, but with the logistical brain that I have, like when, when there's a break in the link – and, I mean, I've got um, staff that are more like me as well, mm. and so does she. It was – there was a lot of tension. Mm. <laughs> So to speak, but we did deliver both events yeah, <laughs> on time. Yeah. On, on time. time. Yes. On time. <laughs> and and that was yeah, that was a very emotional moment actually because the it was almost like it was a hopeless situation. And oh yeah, it almost felt hopeless. But yes. you moved quickly. Yes. You found an answer, mm. you went with it. Uh, and you had to let go a little bit, which I, yeah. uh, which I cost think, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, and perhaps even you even made a loss. But that then speaks to your point about reputation, and reputation matters. Yes. The uh, what's what's very clear as I speak to you both is why you are in the position that you are, and so we get to mingle and meet a lot of entrepreneurs through future CEOs. We've been going for a long time. We've interviewed a lot of people, but then also at events. Uh, and and often you can you can tell a you can tell the quality of a person quite quickly. Mm. What I'm what I'm seeing in both of you is the ability to to come up against some difficult situations. Solution mode. M- move very quickly mm. together to to find solutions, mm. and and that's really often what leading or starting a business, but then also definitely leading and scaling a business is all about, mm. finding answers to solutions. Uh, um, yes, I, I see both of you nodding. Um, I do want to, because we're, we're headed slowly toward the end of the conversation, I want to move the conversation again. You've got plans for the future. These are global plans. You spoke about <laughs> catering in, in many, many places all around the world. Uh, when when you think vision and you see these big plans, don't tell us what they are, but tell us rather how you plan to execute on them. What's your what's your method of either interrogation and or execution? How do you how do the, you phase something like that? 
the plans change all the time, firstly. From, Thank you for from that the point. idea. You know, from the idea, it looks nothing like what the idea looked like two weeks later. Mm. Because as you interrogate it and investigate options, because we are here, so whatever resource we're going to need, it's going to have to be from that specific country. And everyone has got very different ways of working. So, um, and executing, so we have to, we're having to spend a lot of money actually traveling and investigating, um, ideas and options, um, into the different countries because what we see from here might not necessarily be what that community requires. Well, the, the reality mm. on the ground. The reality on the ground. So, so lesson number one, get as close to your client, idea. get a, get as close to the idea, get as close uh, to the environment as you possibly can. And the person one. that's doing what, because there's always someone that's doing something similar. Mm. So you have to get to know the different caterers in those different countries and getting close to your competition is not always easy. Not, mm. not everyone opens up their door, you know, and, um, well, actually nobody opens up their door. <laughs> yeah. <I've>... Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's tricky in that sense. And with the ideas, they're a little bit, Difficult to speak about um, right now because everything is um, at a base level. And until I just tell you what it is, mm. it, it's not really going to make sense. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of um, upskilling. Um, so that, and we're mainly focusing um, first on the continent. Mm. There's a lot of upskilling of um, culinary staff and service-oriented staff. So waiters, etc. So actually... Transferring the skills because it's not that people don't want to give a good service. They don't know what it looks like mm. and they don't know what it means for their employee. Mm. So you need to communicate the story as a, um, to your, um, I'm sorry, the employer. You need to communicate the story to the person that's delivering your service because we're only as good as our waiters. People don't, they've never, seen any of our faces, they don't know any of our other chefs. And they will judge your entire business based yes. on a single interaction with a single waiter Yeah, um, and so on, yeah. Yes, I, I see it. and I mean the reputation that so the service industry or um, service is not that amazing in the continent is it's, it's you, we can change that perception mm. and um, the only way to do it is to actually tell, is to train the, the the waiters, I'll speak about waiters for now, is to train them and to actually tell them your personal story, like where you started, why you have a lodge, wherever, and why you need to make sure that that service is delivered properly because the, every time they deliver the wrong drink or every time the food is cold, that's a person that's not coming back mm. and that's money that they're not going to earn. So how do they fit into the whole picture? Mm. Like I because said right, before. Yeah, because yeah. right now, Waiters, restaurants, lodges, catering, they, they just put out there to say, you serve, do this, you're serving a um, chicken satay or whatever it is, not the the emotional, the emotions behind it. Mm. And that is what drives every man, I think, you know, especially Africans, like we are, we're very emotional beings. Mm. And, and once you know the story and once you actually understand where it comes from and where it's going, you're able to form part of it. You're actually part of the bigger picture. You know that you're not just the waiter serving the drink. You're part of this whole larger story. Mm. So that's, that's really where we're going with that. Now, I appreciate the, 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 
uh, I guess, fun saying that we can get, get from this. So you are going to be creating scale through skill. Mm. Yeah. Through upskilling. Yes. And that's a really good place to start. Um, as we draw, draw to the end of the conversation, here's a couple of quick fire questions. What, um, what book are you currently reading? I'm, <laughs> I'm reading Daring Greatly okay. by Brene Brown. Okay. Um, it's a book about, um, courage and vulnerability, etc. Um, because I've found it challenging to be, um, vulnerable and be open in situations, ask for help mm. because there's always the, you're always not fighting against, but there's always the perception of the great woman warrior, mm. you know, like you're supposed to be this mm. and, um, but it's, it's, it's such a lonely road mm. and getting to a point where you're comfortable in exposing what you're actually going through and, in depth <laughs> and not just saying, oh, things are difficult, mm. but what is actually going on? Because you'll find more, more and more people are going through the same thing. But as entrepreneurs, we're painting this warrior picture, the social media picture, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's far from it. Mm. <laughs> so, and I've found it, um, more difficult, um, in the years to actually be comfortable in that. Um, and, and so like, these kind of uh, what I'm liking about her writing is it's hitting home and it's quite real and mm. it's things that I thought I was experiencing on my own. So that's the book I'm currently reading. Well, what I appreciate about what you're sharing is that th that's part of what you do within your own business anyway. You share the story. You have to bring them into the story. And it's interesting how often we as, as entrepreneurs or as leaders don't always practice what we preach it's interesting of course but and and you're experiencing that through the book mandlakazi your your book that you're reading at the moment i'm reading a couple okay <laughs> there's like five books next to my uh bedside but um i'm reading the year of yes the year of years yes of yes of yes of yes, yes. Oh, okay so uh basically um, I was drawn into the book because I think I feel, I, I think I need to say yes to more things, yes to more experiences. And that's how I think I am going to grow further in personal life, in business and everything. And, and saying yes is to open yourself and being to exposure as well as to being vulnerable to other situations. Yeah. What does Branson say? Richard Branson, he says, if you see an opportunity or present with an opportunity, say yes and figure it out on the way. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's, That's exactly what I'm maybe there's a, Maybe there's another little small step in between which is qualified a little bit, but, but yeah, figure it out on the way. I, li yeah. I like what, I like what you're, sh what mm. you're sharing. Absolutely the, the best advice you've received. Oi. Um, People, okay, it's people that don't make, make mistakes are doing nothing at all. People that don't make mistakes are doing nothing at all. Fantastic. <laughs> Andakazi. Um, the best advice that I've ever had recently is uh, trust your gut instinct. It's always right. Oh, really? Yes. It's always right. And I know because <laughs> when sometimes I would feel like ah, that is not for me, but then I would go for it because I would. Uh, think what would people say if I'm not taking this opportunity mm. or stuff, but mm. then I would then learn later that actually 
I didn't want to take this opportunity and now and it's not. Why. And here's why, mm. you understand. Yeah, to reveal So yourself. you must really trust your gut instinct. It's what you have in, in her- so inherent. So we had a conversation you. around trusting your gut, mm. trusting your instincts here. Mm. Um, and the, I think that what we had decided together was trust your experienced gut. Yes. Mm. And so I, I don't know if I would trust my gut <laughs> to put a hundred thousand rand or 10, 10 million rand on a particular share to move in a particular kind of way. I don't know if you either have the, the confidence to do that, uh, but certainly where you're experienced and where you've been doing things for a long time, trust your gut. I hope I'm allowed to amend your advice there a little bit, if, if that's okay. Now let's go oh, worst, advi- worst advice you've ever received, and then we'll round this all up. Why? <laughs> worst advice. Oh my gosh. So much. <laughs> um... It's it's not, um, but it's it's basically, if you don't know something, rather don't don't do it. Okay. Which is so. Let's say you need to like um, learn a whole lot about it, mm. about whatever it is. Mm. Um, let's say in business, bookkeeping or accounting. Um, like if you don't know about it, if you don't know anything about it, don't even start it. Mm. I find that to be wrong because. The only way anyone has ever learned anything, or especially me, is by just jumping in and figuring it out while I'm in there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so so sitting behind a book and it, it's obviously you need a qualification in most cases, but in some cases, just like jump in there and it's quicker <laughs> to, sw- to, to, to swim than it is to. Experience is the great teacher, isn't it? It is. I mean, and failure is probably its, uh, its professor brother or sister. Um, because failure is part of that journey and failure really teaches where you, where there's a gap. There's a gap in yeah. your knowledge. Yeah. Mandakazi, you're the worst advice you've ever received. Yeah. The worst advice is don't, um, don't mix with the, don't go where you don't know. You've same never thing, been. Yeah, yeah mm, same something thing. Something similar, yeah. Yeah, something similar. That's the reason why I want to go there. Mm. <laughs> adventure. Mm. Yeah, adventure. Okay. Then I will want to find out why. All right, so you were that daughter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a final question to both of you before we have to close the conversation. If you could go back in time and speak to the young future CEO entrepreneur you, in, in one phrase, what would you say to yourself? Go back in time, 20-year-old future CEO, entrepreneur, you. What would you say to yourself in one phrase? Just start. Just start. I was going to say jump. jump. Stole my phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Happens uh, all the time. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic that we see such a, a such an alignment here. So just, 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 just start. start. You're saying jump. Just do it to steal a phrase from a, a big brand. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thank you so much for your time, both of you. Thank you for, for, firstly, for your success. And I don't know how often you've been thanked for your success, but thank you for your success because really what it is, it's, it's leadership. It's, it's an example. It's something that the rest of us, our listeners, myself, um, Hlubi, who's not here today with us, we can, we can look to you and we can, we can be inspired. So thank you for your success. Thank you then also for coming onto the show and sharing your experiences with us. And um, we look forward to having you back here to share more successes after the skilling process. Let, <laughs> you were vague enough to, to make us uh, just add a couple more questions. So we'll ask those questions next time here in studio. Uh, thank you, both of you. Mandakazi, Absi, thank you so much for being here. 
Thank, thank you for you. having us. Thank you so much for having us. All right, that's all we have time for this uh, week on Future CEOs. We look forward to seeing you same time, same place next week. Just start, go, and jump. This is CliffCentral.com.